0: The City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website cityhill.london. So today we're gonna be looking at a few different things. If you open the City Hill London app, press the menu button in the top in the bottom right. And then right at the top is is the notes section. And then you'll see uh, today's notes, Roaring Lions. And we're going to run through a few different things. And the first thing I want to talk about is a verse in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9. You can press on it and it will show you the passage. Um, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world so the first one the devil is like a roaring lion the devil is like a roaring lion today we're going to be going through like Daniel chapter 6 but actually Daniel's story is just so so huge and it's so crazy and actually as you look through Daniel's story wow we didn't have a lion but we've got a crazy squirrel out there on a mad thing like that was like I don't know, prison break for squirrels after a nut. Yeah, go on, fight, fight, fight. That was crazy, oh yeah, pretty cute. Any photo ops right there? So, when we look at the story of Daniel, the way it starts off is it starts off with the children of Israel over a long period of time been warned by different prophets about, hey, you've got to fix up how things are going, you carry on this way. There's going to be a time where God's going to lift His protection off of you, and when you, when that happens, like, the smackdown will be coming. Like, things are going to get messed up. They were even warned of what would happen, that the Babylonians would be coming and all this kind of stuff. As so what happens in Daniel's time, is Daniel is a young, successful, upcoming guy in Israel when the Babylonians take over and they lead the people away. And Daniel is given like a new name because the Babylonians do things very differently. Other nations would conquer and just leave you to your thing and just try and keep you from uprising and trying to oppress you. The Babylonians were a a new kind of, a new breed of evil, a new breed of empire. And their understanding was to try and assimilate the different cultures and, and try and grind them down. And so what happened is Daniel got given this new name like Belshazzar. He got given not only this new identity but he was removed from where he lived and was taken to a different part of the empire. And they would spread the people out like a dispersion of, of the people so they couldn't really unite together in large groups to cause problems. So they would move people all over their empire when they would conquer a place. So what happens at the beginning of Daniel is that we find this this, this young guy, the, the the king, the emperor, has given out this, Nebuchadnezzar is given out this edict that you're going to spread these guys out. And I want you to find the youngest and the brightest, most successful people and I want you to bring them to me. And so what happens is he gets brought to the king, he, they all get given his names, he's got four, uh, four amigos, four, four lads that he hangs around with and they get given their names and Daniel's got his and their whole way of living is changed and they try to create a buy-in to this new culture that regardless of the suffering they'd known in losing that they would flip over and kind of grow in their allegiance. So these young successful guys were given this cushy life to live in and what would happen was the king would say, Hey listen, you're you're with me now. You don't you don't eat like you used to eat. You eat what I eat. You eat the good, good, good meat. You drink the you drink the Chateau Neuf de Pup. Like there is no more of this, you know, Sainsbury's own cheap basics line of red wine. You're on the Chateau Neuf de Pup. You're on the like really old vintage bottles. And what happens with Daniel is when that happens is he finds favor with the eunuchers in charge of him and he just says to this guy, listen bro, I'm not, really, I'm not really feeling this and what I want to do is I don't want to eat these meats because these meats have been dedicated, sacrificed to other gods and for Daniel as a, as a good Jewish lad, that's a big no-no. He goes, I don't want to eat these meats. I want you to just cook, cook me some veg and forget the wine. I'll just have water, thanks. And so Daniel is like the first guy to go fully vegan. You know what I mean? He just fully commits, bun that meat, give me that good, good vegetarian option. And so the guy freaks out because he's like, Daniel, what you are asking me to do? This isn't just like, this isn't a risk for you, this is a risk for me, like I could be killed for this. If, If they look and they see that you and your mates are looking a bit meager compared to everyone else, like that's it, I'm dead. Daniel goes, you know, give it, give it some days. Give it like 10 days. Let's check this thing out and then review it. And if it's not working out, then cool. I'll go with what you're saying. The days pass and Daniel look, and his boys look more boss than the lads who are on that meeting. And so it's allowed to continue. And Daniel continues to find favor, not just in the eunuch's eyes, but in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. And as you go through the first like five chapters of Daniel... You just keep seeing again and again these very strange stories appearing, these very difficult, difficult circumstances appearing. I'm gonna flick through a few of them just quickly as we touch on them, like a couple of his boys, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, and there's this moment where they are told they need to bow down to this huge golden idol that the kings had made and they need to, when the, the, it's like musical statues, when the music plays, you guys are gonna bow down and everyone's gonna worship. But these guys refuse to bow down, refuse to worship. And this escalates to a place where they're told that if you don't do this, you're going to die. And when the king meets them and he questions them about this scenario, he says, like, hey, like, what's this about? And they go, well, listen, we're Jewish boys. We're from our people Israel, which he thought they were past this with the food, with the wine, with the new names. He thought they were assimilated in, but they still had this uniqueness about them. And they said, like, we're never going to bow down. And he said. who do you think could save you from me? That's what he's saying. Who do you think can save you from me? And they said, well, you know what? We believe our God can save us from you. But even if our God doesn't save us from you, we are never bowing down. We are never worshipping these idols. We are never going to do this. And so the king just is so angry because all this effort, everything they've done to break these people down, everything that's been going on the whole time has been designed intentionally to wear away at them, just like the transatlantic slave trade. The the strategies in place are to break you and to wear you down and to make you something else. And these guys are not bowing down. These guys are not giving in. These guys are not going to do what the king says. And so there comes this point where he turns to his guards and says, listen, the furnace isn't enough. Turn the furnace up seven times the heat and then dash these guys in. The furnace gets so hot that the guy is pumping the air, trying to heat the thing up. Get killed from the heat, and then the king has them dashed in. And then there's this moment where the king's astonished and he goes, Lads, did we throw in three or did we throw in four? And they go, We threw in three. Then he goes, Why can I see four? And one of them looks like a son of God standing in the midst, and he calls out to them and calls them out. And the king has this incredible moment of humility and repentance and seeing the whole thing differently. Why does that part of the story matter to today? Because we started with Peter. And what we look at through the book of Daniel, we see this time and time again, and actually, if you take a moment to look at your own life, you're gonna notice a a reoccurring theme. It says the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And so Daniel, we're gonna get to the story of Daniel being in the lion's den towards the end, but actually, there's a roaring lion slowly, the whole way through the book of Daniel, the first five chapters, just slowly going through the background, roaring, looking to see someone he can devour. It starts off with this statue to bow down to. It starts off actually before that with the food. It starts with all these different things, all these different lumps in the road along the way that are just trying to position the prey like a lion does. It stalks its prey, it stays on the outside, it stays in its position, it stays low to the ground. And the whole way through this story, you see event after event after event after event. And when you look at these guys, you see this king and his attitude, he has a moment of humility. But later on in the story, what happens is the king doesn't really change his ways. He still stays arrogant, he still stays proud, and still has himself as the worship figure rather than God, even after seeing this. And so Daniel serves Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar comes to a point where he has this dream and no one can really interpret it, and Daniel kind of lets him know that, you know what, I'm so sorry, but God's gonna be moving you on, O king, because you're arrogant and, and you're proud. And he says that you're going to become like a wild beast of the field. And he goes all like crazy and loses his mind and becomes this demented person that people see on the fringes of society. And then his son named Belshazzar takes over and becomes king. And then Daniel serves him. But this guy carries on in the same vein as his dad. He doesn't think about the story of his dad losing his mind, becoming this crazy guy. He doesn't think of this person that has this this, or, or any connection or bearing or cause and effect of one's actions. And so what he does straight away off the bat is he has a huge, huge party. He has like a thousand people there. And he, he pays no respect to any other culture, any other society. And they're all drinking the fine wine and they're getting smashed. He's got all his, all his wives, his side chicks, his concubines, all at this party. And they're drinking out of the artifacts. If you've never heard the series here from City Hill called The Artifacts, you need to go on SoundCloud and type it in, Artifacts, City Hill, Space, London, because it's like a crazy series and you need to understand what, how important these artifacts are. And so there's this moment where they are drinking and they are eating from the artifacts whilst having this party. And then the story goes that this hand just appears and the hand just starts writing on the wall and it says that King Belshazzar goes, goes pasty white he turns like an absolute ghost he freaks out everyone is screaming everyone's afraid and this writing is left etched across the wall and he says if there's anyone in the land who can interpret this writing they will get promoted to being the third most powerful ruler in the entire nation and everyone's looking at the writing on the wall no one understands what it says no one can translate it no one understands what's going on and there comes this moment where someone remembers about Daniel And so Daniel is brought in and he looks and he sees the writing on the wall. And I think one of the things that I love most about it is he has this moment where he says to him that you, O king, have been weighed and you have been found wanting. You, O king, have been weighed and you've been found wanting. And he lets him know that this is the end of the line for you. The reason I love that is I think in today's world we look at so many different figures that are in really powerful, important positions, and you and I, when we weigh them, we think they weigh a lot, and we we respect people based on the, the way our culture and our society is set up. I think this is such a humbling moment that the man in charge of the most powerful empire at the time is told, you have been weighed, and you have been found wanting. I think the question that you and I need to ask of ourselves is actually, do we ever weigh ourselves? I'm not talking about your body mass index this morning do you ever weigh yourself do you ever think for a second like what am I actually doing is this actually worth anything are the things I'm investing my life in are they worth something are the people I respect and admire have you really weighed them have you taken a moment to weigh what they do have you taken a moment to weigh what they achieve it's not a case of you, you, you have a disregard for other people but a case of actually weighing it up and taking the time I love the fact that in front of everyone the king gets weighed. I love the fact that the king is found wanting. And that night, King Belshazzar is no more and he dies. And the last thing Daniel says to him is that your empire is gonna be given to another and uh, the Medes and the Persians will have it. And cue King Darius. Daniel is now onto his third king. And Daniel's going about his job and Daniel's killing it. And you may know and experience these moments in your life when, when you kill it. But the problem is when you're killing it in life, his hate has gone hate. Haters are gonna hate. When you do well, people don't even like each other, collaborate together against you. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced people getting together that don't even like each other and becoming friendships? just to try and cause you strife. It's the funniest thing, because as soon as you move yourself from the scenario, there's this weird group of friends that try and meet together, and they're no longer hating on you, and they realize they have nothing in common except their hateration. And then they end up falling out of one another. It's the funniest thing to watch happen. Happens all the time. It's just the, it's the weirdest, weirdest function. And so Daniel was killing it in his nation, and these guys get together in hateration and they start plotting the scheme. They're like, this guy is hot, man. This guy is so good at what he does. He is killing it. He's an absolute beast. He's just smashing it. We can't compete with him. We can't catch him out in any other way. So what are we gonna do about this? And they go, well, there's one thing I've noticed about this Daniel, man. This Daniel is like clockwork. He is, he is he's on it when it comes to his God. Like, I think we could move in any other way. We wouldn't get near this, bro. But I'm telling you, he's he's on it with his God. I've heard about this guy, and so they get to this point and they start plotting, and so what they say to the king is they come to to Darius, and they go, Darius, you're just a a great guy, and like the other two kings, it's it's all about ego, and and you and I need to be careful, because you see, what happens is they search for your weakness. People come, and they search for your weakness, but where you are weak, God is strong. And, And I think sometimes you and I spend too much time trying to strengthen weaknesses. And I think sometimes you just need to allow God to be the strength. Like, too many guys just spend too much effort on these things. Don't waste your time trying to deal with the hateration. Don't waste your time trying to deal with those people. When people come together like that, what they have is not sustainable. And what they have, if you weigh it, it has been found wanting. It has been found wanting. Just leave them to their thing and you move on. And um, where you're weak, God is strong. We've got to trust him but actually one of the key things is about never bowing down and um, I think the question that you and I have to ask of ourselves when we look at Daniel in this context we see this roaring lion prowling around the periphery the whole way through it's not like Satan tries to get, get Daniel once he doesn't try to get him like twice and then go okay well that's it I'm just going to back off and leave it now he just keeps going he keeps on going around the periphery, looking, looking, looking. And then as he's trying to get it, and he's trying to get all these different weaknesses, trying to get all these different ways in, he can't find them because wherever Daniel was weak, his strength is in the Lord. And he's always connected to God. He's always faithful to Him. Everything else doesn't matter. Daniel's just going to be with God. He's just going to be with Him. He's going to be with Him. He's going to be with Him. The question that we have to ask is what areas are we facing where we are facing challenges to bow down in? Like, are you going through some situations at work where you feel like, man, I've got to, you just got to, get in line and do something that maybe isn't quite right, isn't quite isn't quite true to you or true to what's good and and, and moral, maybe it's in a friendship circle, sometimes it's not even the the group of hateration, sometimes in a friendship circle, people try and and, and get you to try and be something you're not, they're not happy to just celebrate you and allow you to be a part of the friendship circle as you are they want to try and push you into being something else because they don't want to let you be who you are. The thing about never bowing down is, it's about being consistent. It's about being consistent. Because with the story of Daniel, what we find is, he's not one person then at the beginning and then later on in the story, it gets a different one, he goes, oh, this is too far now he just consistently stays close to God. That's literally all Daniel does, just consistently stays close to God. Everything around him is chaos, everything around him is scary, everything around him is dangerous, but he just stays close to God. And so Darius has this moment where someone is blowing smoke up his backside, saying how great he is, and how people need to pray to him and to his specific God and and in his way through a 30-day period, and that no one in the entire empire is allowed to pray to any other God. And Darius digs this. Darius thinks, you know, that is a great idea. I am amazing. We should totally do this. Everyone should celebrate my amazingness by having this focus. So they pushed it in this way, and they say, you know what, we think that if anyone can't respect you enough to just take one month out of their lives and just do this in this way, we think that they should be killed. And we think, you know what, we think this should be done in a way where it's not just any old thing, this isn't just an order that goes out, this is like a (coughs) law, this is a a law of the Medes and the Persians. As Darius goes, you know what, I think that's totally right, let's totally do this, because they've blown smoke up his Jaxi. They've got an idea in their head of where they're going with this, he just thinks this is a great idea. And then there comes this moment where they've noticed that Daniel is praying three times a day, every day, and then they just catch him out. They just catch him out, they see what he's doing, And they go to Darius and go, Darius, we found someone praying. It's meant to be 30 days just praying to you. It's gonna be his time just praying to your God. Just focused and honed in. We're supposed to be in this together. We found someone so disrespectful that they won't even back this just for 30 days. This person has to surely kind of die. And then Darius is fuming, Darius is there, and then he finds out it's Daniel. He finds out it's Daniel, the guy that he probably loves more than anyone else in his empire. The one guy who he just trusts and has just done such a faithful job. And the king is actually devastated. He's not there. What I love about Daniel so much is actually with the other guys, when there was this rebellion or pushing back against them, they they, weren't, they didn't have such an influence on the person that wanted to wrong them that they would have a change of heart. As soon as the guy finds out it's Daniel, as soon as it's that, he says that he spends all day trying to fight, find a way around it. But his problem is, it's not that these guys want Daniel dead, is that his own law and ruling wants Daniel dead and he can't change it because in their society, once that law is final, it is final. And so he has to, with a heavy heart, with absolute regret, have Daniel thrown the lions then. What I love about Darius as well though, is he's not a man who's detached from this, even though this wasn't his plan, even though this wasn't his plot. He goes, he goes there and as Daniel's thrown in and Darius is cheering him on and Darius is wishing him on that his God that he's been praying to is able to save him. What I love is that in the morning, Darius is there asking for the stone to be rolled away and he's looking in with anticipation. He doesn't go there to to, to look over the bones. Darius goes there in a hope and an expectation crying out to Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel's response, if we have a look now, Daniel chapter 6, 21. As we read verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God is your God whom you serve continually. You see, it's that consistency that changes everything. Continually been able to deliver you from the lions. And then Daniel said to the king, I'll live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who maliciously maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den, and their whole families. And they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them, and um, tore them to pieces. When I look at that story, I think one of the things that it impresses on me more than anything is I've found in my life that people often have the mentality that there's just this one scenario, this one situation you go through, and it's like, oh, if I can just get through this, if I can just get past this. But the story we see with Daniel is Daniel's at the very top of the game, Daniel is killing it, he's like an OG, he's a baller, he's up here, but yet the strife never leads him. Daniel is consistently faithful to God, but situations keep on arising. And I think the thing that I want to say today is I want to talk to us about roaring lions. I want to make us aware that actually, you know what? You can't really kind of like just chill and relax in the life that you're in right now. Like you've got to be aware to be continually close to God. What I find with a lot of my mates is like something happens and then they come running to God. Like they, 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 they run to him and, uh, and they're all like teary and all kind of a mess. And you know what, cool, like I've done that. I've run to God like that loads and loads of times. But what I'm saying about Daniel that I found so unbelievably powerful in this is the way that you overcome lions is by being consistent. By being consistent with your God just in conversation, that's all he's doing. Every day, he's just talking. Every day, he's just talking. And one of the key things you notice when you read Daniel is most of the time when he's talking to God, it's always thankfulness, it's always thankfulness. You have to understand, this is a guy whose nation has been destroyed, this is a guy who's lost everything he has, been stripped away from his family in isolation, giving a name he doesn't want, being a part of serving an empire that has caused this harm to him, And he goes through time and time again, his life is on the line, and yet you just keep on getting Daniel going, God, I am just so grateful, I am just so grateful. He's consistent and he's continuously like that. And what I love more than anything is actually when he's thrown in the lion's den, the thing that he says is, he says, King, I was found blameless. The angels closed the mouths of the lions because I was blameless. When we did the series Mark 1, one of the key things we looked at is we spent 11 weeks going through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, because there's picture after picture. And it talks about Jesus in the wilderness, and it says, with the wild, wild beasts. And the whole point of that story of him being with the wild beasts and nothing happening to him was for the Jewish people, a picture of Daniel, the idea that he was blameless. The reason he could be amongst the lions in the wilderness is because he's blameless. The idea is with Daniel, the lions were holding the mouths the angels are shut in the mouths of the lions because he was blameless. The idea of Jesus in the wilderness with the lions is the very fact that Jesus is blameless. And if he's blameless, when he goes to the cross, he dies for your sin and he pays a price. And the Bible says that we overcome the, the devil by the power of the blood of Jesus in our testimony. And so this week, what I want to encourage you about being consistent with is consistent in your gratitude to God that he was blameless, that you and I aren't but that his consistency is what saves us. I want to encourage you guys this week to be consistent in sharing your testimony. And I want you to be consistent in remembering the blood of Jesus that covers us so graciously and so powerfully. I'm going to pray for us today. And then next week, we're going to wrap up this series, The Zoo. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your consistency, Father, because you are always consistent and you are always faithful. God, we are not faithful and we are not consistent. But we pray that we would learn to be consistent. That if we could be consistent in one thing with you at least, like Daniel, it would just be that we talk to you. That we keep the conversation alive about the areas of our lives. That we would be people that consistently and continually express gratitude to you. Father God, I pray that, Father, we would be people that overcome the power of the devil by the blood of Jesus, but by our testimony. I pray this week, God, you give us opportunities to share with somebody something about what God has done for us or what God is doing for us or even what we're trusting God to do for us. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us, and I pray you go with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message, and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.